2: This is Charles Kirsch, and welcome to Backstage Babble. Backstage Babble is a podcast interviewing professionals in the theatre industry about themselves, their careers, and the people they've worked with along the way. And before I announce my guest today, I wanted to put in a little plug for a very exciting event, Backstage Babble Live at 54 Below. I will be hosting and producing this evening on Tuesday, September 6th at 7 p.m. It will feature nine of my previous guests performing songs that they've performed on Broadway. And wait until you hear the lineup. Charles Bush, Meg Bussert, Len Carew, Beth Fowler, Jill O'Hara, Brad Oscar, Christine Petty, Kurt Peterson, and Leroy Reams. Believe me, you won't want to miss this very special night. You can find tickets on 54below.com or at the link in the episode description. And now, without further ado, here's my guest for today, Will Rowland. Will Rowland is currently starring through August 20th in The Panic of 29 at 59E59 59 e 59 theaters. There's a ticket link to that in the episode description as well. His Broadway credits include starring in two cultural phenomenons, Dear Evan Hansen, where he portrayed Jared Kleinman, and Be More Chill, in which he portrayed the leading role of Jeremy Here. His other stage credits include The Black Suits at Barrington Stage, The Bus at 59E59, e and the studio recording of Goosebumps the Musical. On film, he has appeared in Billions and One Penny, and he also co-produced the virtual Broadway *Who It* game with Andrew Barth Feldman. So now, without further ado, here's Will Rowland.
0: So, I would love to start by asking you how the Panic of 29 happened.
1: For um, in real life, or how I came to be a part of the show? <laughs> how, how you came to be part of the show. <laughs> yeah. um, I have been friends with uh, with Max Friedman, who is our director, uh, for a very long time. Uh, we've been friends for about 12 years now. Um, and he uh, contacted me a couple months ago, back in March, uh, saying that they were doing a reading of the show. Um, he thought of me for this role. I, I came in and uh, I, I immediately fell in love with the script and uh, especially Graham's language. Uh, and that was sort of how my involvement came came to be. And what do you think makes a great director like? like um, you know, I think a, a, a great director, a, a truly great director is someone who manages to find the balance between uh, bringing a lot of their own creative energy. I think it's hard to have big ideas and good ideas. Um, And I think it's harder still to distill which of your ideas should stay in in the piece and which should get out of the way. Um, And then third, and, and this one's really hard, is the director has to be the sort of crucible for ideas where everything sort of comes together and where the buck stops, so to speak. But the director also has to be open to the experiences that come into the room, the experiences of other people, and the ideas that are coming from actors and designers and uh, producers and audiences. Um, And I I think it's really hard to synthesize all of those things, to be a leader and be the person who has to generate the ideas and also be the person who is digesting and and sort of uh, putting together the ideas of others.
0: When you're working on a play like this that's set in a very specific period, how do you sort of do research? And were there any specific people that you based this character on
1: or? Um, you know, the character is uh, is loosely based, on, uh, loosely based on a character that I played in another show. I sort of oh. imagined uh, Jimmy to be a younger version of, um, every year, uh, well not for the past few years, but for many, many years, uh, we've done uh, with Joe Iconis, we've done uh, a big Christmas extravaganza. Uh, and one of the recurring characters in that uh, is a character named Mr. McAbee, the old tiny barkeep. And he's, uh, you know, he's a sort of mystical barkeep uh, uh, who sort of serves as a, a spirit guide in that show. And I thought like, oh, I wonder if Jimmy is like, if a young Jimmy Armstrong becomes a, a Mr. Maccabee as as he gets older. Um, and so uh, I, it began sort of there. And then, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of, of old movies, um, you know, movies from the 20s. A, a lot of the sort of great films occur a little bit later than that, but sort of talk about the 20s. And so I think I, I took a lot of inspiration from movies in the 40s and 50s that were full of actors who remembered the 20s and sort of brought that spirit into their performances. I think there's a lot in this play that is heavily influenced by classic American cinema.
0: And although this play is a comedy and a period comedy, it definitely has a lot to say about today. And so why do you think this play is so relevant now? I
1: mean... um, you know, I think that, uh, I think, uh, what, what is the, the, the phrase that I like so much? History doesn't repeat itself, but it often rhymes. Um, and I think that a lot of what happened in the 20s, a lot of the sort of mood that was in the air um, feels similar to where we're at right now. You know, I feel like we uh, at one point uh, um, uh, Richard Whitney, the president of the Stock Exchange, says, we're, we're living through a boom, ladies and gentlemen, booms like these. They don't just bust. Not booms like these, and you know, as someone who uh, has uh, was has lived through three, maybe four recessions in my lifetime, uh, booms definitely bust, and the only thing that is always uh, sort of common thread when a boom busts is uh, everybody agrees that it's not going to happen. Uh, and I think that uh, you know the play sort of pokes fun at that aspect of economic cycles. Um, and I think that the, the thing that works really well about the play is that it, even though it has these sort of big ideas, it's about economies, and it's about governments, and it's about police and all these things, it's really, those are sort of tools. The play is about small family units and friend units. It's about Dot and Jimmy and even and Ingrid and Lady Generosity and their sort of, journeys through these large forces and how all this stuff affects them
0: yeah and have there been a lot of changes made to this play or or any changes since you've started with it
1: um you know since since we started uh there have been there have certainly been some changes you know some some little stuff here reacting to what actors are doing Um, you know they added a scene uh while we were in rehearsals um you know there's a uh without spoiling too much, there's a large explosion near the end of the show. And I think that uh, one of the things that they wanted to do for clarity was they added a scene uh, wherein we meet uh, the people who are responsible for that explosion. That was not in it when we started. Um, yeah, I would say it's mostly been additions and uh, sort of embellishments and and flourishes and, and uh, a lot of you know large scenic gestures, that sort of stuff.
0: And so now I would love to go all the way back to the beginning to ask you, how did you first become interested in theater?
1: Oh, how did I first become interested in theater? I think that um, I have always had a sort of performer streak. Um, I think, you know, even even as a little kid, uh, my family would identify sort of I loved Sort of singing and playing pretend, and 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 I was very animated, and you know, I'm always a storyteller. Um, I did, uh, I I always loved uh, the film of Wonderful Life." Uh, it's one of my favorite movies ever, uh, and I used to do like a George Bailey impression when I was like five years old. It's very it's a very strange thing for a five year old to latch onto, but I but that was what sort of got me going. Um, and then uh, as I got a little older. Um, I started doing theater in school, you know, middle school, and I, and I think that it started out as like, oh, I'll give this a try, and then as I did it, uh, the thing that kept me there, I think, was less like the theater per se, I think it could have been any activity, but I was really drawn to the community, and I was really drawn to the kind of spirit of collaboration, and, uh, you know, I think I loved being in rehearsals and building sets and, and, you know, doing runs of shows. I think all of, all the people and the social aspect really appealed to me. Um, and then as I got a little older, um, you know, as I was starting to go to college and, and think about where I was applying and what I wanted to study. Um, it sort of occurred to me that I was like, oh, maybe I would like to try to be a professional actor, which which is sort of thing that had not, uh, it wasn't that I like never thought about it, but it was not like, I wasn't like 10 years old being like, I'm gonna be on Broadway someday. That was not my uh, trajectory. Um, and I think that uh, I, I have been very blessed. I've, I've had a really wonderful career. Um, I didn't really do anything professionally before I graduated college. I was, I was fully nose in the books, um, you know, doing educational theater for many, many years. Um, and, and uh, once I graduated college, I sort of tried my hands uh, working professionally and, and my first job was actually uh, here at 59 and 59 so i'm returning to the scene of the crime, as it were.
0: <laughs> and
1: when you made this decision about being a
0: professional actor were um, your parents and people around you supportive of it or how did that sort of
1: go. Yes, I'm, uh, I'm very lucky I, I have, um, I have a group of, uh, my family, especially, uh, is incredibly, incredibly supportive has always been incredibly supportive. Um, it's one of those things that, um, everybody has their own journey through this world. And I have always sort of marveled at folks who have done it without family support. I just don't know, personally, I don't think I, w- I would have the strength, um, because there are so many, people and forces in this, in this life, in this career, uh, who are telling you, uh, you can't, you shouldn't, you're not enough, you're incorrect. If you just fix this one thing, blah, 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 Some of them are trying to be helpful, some of them are not, but there's a lot of energy, uh, that sort of says like, is not supportive overtly. Um, and my parents have always been a no questions asked, unconditional support element. I could do bad work and they will say it is good. And I think that it is, uh, I think if you're going to embark in this kind of career, anything where you have to put yourself out there this much, um, you got to have somebody who is just like, you're good, no matter what, no feedback, no qualifiers, no you know helpful criticism, just you're good, you're doing great, keep doing it because there will always be people who are telling you uh, what you can fix and what you can improve. Um, and, I'm, and I think having a group in my life that is just positivity has been a real bedrock of my progress in this life.
0: I believe he went to college at NYU. Is that right? And and what was it like to be coming to New York and and getting your start in that way?
1: Um, I uh, I had a great time at NYU. Um, you know, I I when I was applying to colleges, I was um I uh, was I was sort of uh, ignorant. I I didn't really know like where the like quote unquote good programs were. I didn't know the differences between this one or that one, and and so my my college application and audition process was very atypical even even 15 years ago when it was easier than it is now um i uh i applied to uh i visited like mm, maybe six or eight schools i had friends who visited like 20 30 schools and i sort of like ah, we took a trip to boston we took a trip to chicago and we, you know we took a trip and we took you know i grew up in and around new york city uh oh. in the city and later on long island and so we came into, into NYU um i ended up applying to emerson in boston um i had a great i made i had a great visit there the program made a good impression on me i applied uh early in a, a non-binding early uh, application so I, I got in early got in in like november uh and so it was november of my senior year i was into a college that i liked uh they offered me a decent financial aid package and i said huh um where else would i like to go and so like i called up uh, NYU, I found out they had two musical theater departments, which still confuses me. I think they have three now, actually. Um, but so I went to um, the, the, I applied to the Steinhardt School there, which was a uh, more voice and music focused program. I, when I was 18, I wasn't sure if I wanted to do musical theater or if I maybe wanted to do uh, classical voice and then pursue a career in opera or something like that, or if I wanted to just like not be a professional actor. And I said, oh, a little big school that has other options in case I decide this is not for me. Um, but yeah, I, I went to NYU back then, and you could just like sort of call them up and be like, ah, I'm applying. And it was like a Tuesday and they're like, okay, great, we've got open auditions on Saturday, come on by. I came like in on a Saturday and did my audition and, and uh, I got into NYU as well. And it was a similar sort of like school that I liked, they offered me a, a package that was, uh, you know, made it accessible to me as a, you know, I'm not from some incredibly wealthy family or anything like that. Uh, and so uh, I was like, ah, do I want to be in New York or Boston? Uh, and I decided I wanted to be in New York. It was sort of like a flip decision to go there, but I, I think it um, it worked out really well for me. It was a program that was a really good fit. Um, I think college, Theater education programs are a really interesting animal as I get older and reflect on them. And uh, there there are hardly any that are like universally good or universally bad, um, but they're really sort of like, you have to find the right fit for you. And I, I got very lucky in sort of stumbling into a program that offered a lot of the stuff that I needed to learn at that time
0: were some of the roles you were doing around this time being in high school or in college right?
1: um high school and college oh man uh we did uh, let's see when i was in high school um i uh we did city of angels when i was a freshman and i played uh wait what's his name is his name jimmy armstrong no what's his name what's the singer's name
0: um, it, i think it, it is something like that.
1: something yeah wait i need to look this up and then <laughs> i'm going to tell you <laughs> this is um, uh, so I was in City of Angels, and I was also in. Uh, we did uh, Peter Pan. I was I was a pirate in Peter Pan. We did Les Mis. I played Marius. Um, we did uh, the Scottish play, uh, and I played uh, the the title role in the Scottish play. My senior year, that was sort of a big deal. Um, We did Into the Woods, we did uh, Mary Zimmerman's Metamorphoses, that was an amazing experience. My my high school theater program was a really exceptional place run by uh, really, really smart, wonderful people um, who understood theater as a tool for building community, um, which I thought was really great uh, because they, um, you know, I think there are a lot of programs out there that are about like training young people to be professional actors um i think that's really valuable but it was not the kind of training that i needed or wanted um and so i'm sort of glad that i didn't uh i didn't have that experience oh my god his name is jimmy powers
0: uh-huh.
1: no wonder i thought it was jimmy Armstrong. i was like and they went back to the city of Angels. i was like jimmy powers so yeah that was my, my first one in high school um and then in college uh i, I got really lucky um Every time I tell my story about like how I got here, there's a lot of moments where I say like, yeah, I was really lucky. <laughs> um, I, I reflect on that luck uh, a lot. Um, and uh, so a few weeks into my college experience, um, I had a professor named John Simpkins, who's director. He runs the program at Penn State now, he's an excellent guy. Um, and he brought in uh, a frequent collaborator of his, uh, who is Joe Iconis, oh. um, who I have since had a very long collaboration with. But I met Joe when I was 18 years old, you know, six weeks into my freshman year at college, um, and I immediately fell in love with his music. Um, and it was the first time in my life that I started to think about, like, oh, like when you go see a musical on Broadway, if it's not a revival, then it's a new musical. <laughs> And like someone made that music, like someone wrote it. And like all those actors that are in it, like they, they were the first people to ever play those roles. And I, I became immediately very like taken with that. Um, I did really, and I, uh, most of what I have done in the last 10 or 12 years uh, has been development of new musicals. So I was lucky enough to work on new musicals at NYU um, and also do some great revivals. We did Violet. Uh, we did a show called the fix, which is like a weird mid nineties, Manchurian candidate musical. Um, uh, what else did we do in college? We did bat boy, which is one of my favorite all time favorite shows. It's just so, so, so great. Um, yeah, I'm trying all my the college stuff. I, I have much more vivid memories of the high school shows, but, but a lot of the college stuff was about, uh, sort of discovering my love for new musicals and, and, and getting to try my hand at some development and then, since graduating, I've I've really, that's really where a lot of my energy has gone.
0: Yeah. And so after you graduated from college and started auditioning and all that, how did you find your sort of niche in terms of the roles that
1: you would be going up for? Um, You know, I think it's, Being an early career actor, I mean, I'm still an early mid career actor. You know, I think I'm I'm 33 years old, and in my mind, I've got I'd like to do this for you know 30, 40, maybe 50 more years. I don't know. People act when they're really old if they can. Um. So I, if we think about it from that perspective, being you know 10 or 12 years into my career is that's still pretty early. Um. But I think the the first couple of years, um, it's for me it was a, a combination of trying to only do things that i wanted to do while also uh trying to figure out what people would let me do um you know you're always sort of begging to work and and i think that no matter what level you get to in this industry that feeling never goes away i think even if you're a big hollywood star uh you know people can think of you a certain way and they won't let you do some other thing that you want to do and so i think no matter where you're at in this industry there are very few people who can be like, I want to do this and they can do anything that they want. Um, and so a, a lot of the early, early days were about starting to figure out how people perceived me and how I perceived myself and how to sort of marry those two things and and not be miserable. Um, and I think I was sort of lucky because what I, what I wanted to do was not that far from what people would let me do. Um, I think that if I imagined myself as like, Oh, I'm like kind of a Tony and West Side Story curly in Oklahoma kind of looking guy like that would be I would have had a really hard time in this life because I just I don't have that look I don't have that demeanor I don't. And so I think that if if my idea of myself had been further from how the world perceived me, I would have had a much less pleasant experience Um, But I got really lucky and I found a group of artists, especially through Joe connors who. Um, saw all the dimensions of me and were really excited about me as a performer. And we would create a lot of stuff together and a lot of that stuff sort of didn't make any money. And, you know, all of our friends came to see it, but it wasn't like, you know, high profile in any way. Um, but my, my sort of first big real, you know, union gig that was like a full blown production, uh, was a Joe Iconis musical called the black suits. Um, and the black suits opened a lot of doors for me. It, uh, you know, it helped me, uh, Land my first uh, manager, so I, you know, I had representation for the first time at at 23 years old, and that was really helpful um, because I did not have any like response, at a showcase in college or anything like that. Um, and then uh, from there, the the black suits sort of put me in a mindset of like, oh, this is what I want to do. Um, and that uh, then then I got to you know a couple years, uh, a couple of months after the black suits closed, um, I auditioned for what would become Jeremy Hanson. Um, so that was, that sort of felt like, uh, it, it set me up with the right tools to walk into that room and really sort of succeed and continue to do this kind of work that I enjoy so much.
0: And so before the black suits, I believe was the bus at 59, Use 59, which is yes. And so what was that play about for those who?
1: Um, the Bus, uh, which, was, which was seen by dozens of people 11 years ago. Um, uh, the Bus was a play about uh, two young men growing up in a, a sort of nondescript uh, Midwestern town. It's not clear if we're in Kansas or Ohio, or but we're sort of somewhere in the heartland of America. Uh, and it, it's basically a love story uh, between these two adolescents. Um, it unfortunately does end tragically. Um, but one of the things that was sort of exciting about that production was that uh it was produced by uh this fella named um named Nate Phelps, who is the estranged son of Fred Phelps, who is the Westboro Baptist uh minister. So, you know, like the you know, the the God hates F-words, you know, the <laughs> notoriously loud anti-gay church. Um so this was produced by this estranged son who had escaped from this this cult. Um and so after we did the show in 59 59, we actually went uh to Topeka uh and we did a performance in Topeka and it's performance in Wichita um oh. and we were you know picketed by Westboro Baptist it was very <laughs> exciting it felt like um it felt like what was very cool was that it felt like it got to be a, a show that sort of blended some political beliefs within the show with some real deal bona fide activism uh at a time when you know I mean this feels like ancient history now uh but like in you know in 2011 like uh, gay marriage was not legal in this country, and uh, you know, it was, it was the climate was different uh, than it is now, and so uh, it it felt like we were really sort of uh, fighting a good fight. Um, so that that was a really wonderful experience for me, and for that to be my my first professional job gave me a real sense of purpose and meaning uh, in the work that I do, and in the power of my work to affect change in the world.
0: And so to go to um, the Black Suits, I'd love to ask, what is your collaboration like with Joe Iconis and what makes him such a great collaborator?
1: Um, My collaboration with Joe is hands down my favorite artistic endeavor of my entire life. Um, I have never met a writer who understands and is so excited by all the dimensions of me as an actor and a person. I've also never met uh, a songwriter whose words and music I find quite as exciting as what Joe writes. I, I think Joe is simply the best musical theater writer alive. Um, that I know it's a big statement, and but you know it's just it's just one man's opinion. Um, I think that I think that what Joe writes is so human. He is so interested in uh, like regular people and regular experiences. He's so interested in in portraying in musicals that allow people to be ugly and human and sort of warts and all. Uh, And he's interested in, uh, you know, he always tries to fill his shows with people that look like people you might see on the street, Uh, but then they sort of open their mouths and all of a sudden there are these incredibly talented actors and singers and dancers. Um, I I think that his, his fixation and his passion is a love of people uh and a love of language and uh, i think whenever i get the opportunity to see his work or read his work um i'm just so uh, transported by it um it feels so relatable and pedestrian and normal but also it feels you know, the stakes feel huge it feels like Greek tragedy presented in you know sort of regular everyday speech um and and the black suits was an, a very special experience because when i was in college I had actually gone to see a production of the Black Suits at the Public Theater. It was when they did their their summer play festival, and you know the production was like a few steps above a staged reading, but not quite like a full blown production. Um, there were some incredibly talented actors in it: uh, Nick Blaymer, Krista Rodriguez, Jason Tam, uh, Jason Williams, Lance Rubin, Annie Golden. Uh, really, really great people. Uh, and uh, I, I was, you know, I was 19 years old, and I was like. God, this is the best show I've ever seen. I love it so much. I would love to be in this show someday. Um, and then, you know, I, I heard from from Joe and from John Simpkins, the aforementioned director, who was directing this production, uh, that they'd be doing it at, at Barrington Stage uh, in the summer of 2012. And I was like, I have to be there. I simply have to be a part of it. Um, and you know, I, I auditioned, and and it was funny because I, you know, I, I knew Joe and John. But Joe had sort of said to me, like, oh, the, the folks at Barrington uh don't they they're not interested in having our like Joe Iconis and family people in the show. They want like actors that we don't know. And he said, I, I don't know why they think this is so important, but they think it's really important. So like when you come in, uh don't be like overly familiar with me and John. Uh you know, he's like, obviously, you know us, don't pretend you don't know us. Like, you know, John taught you in college, everyone knows that. Um, but like just sort of tone it down in our friendship uh, and and uh I, I had a really incredible callback experience with that whole process you know bill finn is this runs where he used to run the theater up there and you know their new musical theater thing and so like to audition for bill and hear his feedback is a very interesting man um but then that was that was a, a a major turning point for me to go up to barrington that summer and and spend those eight weeks up there and 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 be sort of like fully immersed in, you know, a summer of new theater. Uh, I mean, lifelong friends until I met Ben Platt. Ben Platt was in that production years before Nervyn Hanson, years before Pitch Perfect. Um, And uh, my friend Harrison Chad, who is still a lifelong friend, uh, Annie Golden was in that production. Really, really wonderful people. Um, And then we did another production in in, uh, in LA at the Kirk Douglas Theater at Center Theater Group. And the... uh, that production was was incredible it was, it was the it was the most first of all, it first was the highest budget musical i had ever been in at that point so the the degree of you know scenic and and prop and light the the, the 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 quality of the production was like nothing i had ever experienced in my life um and i think that all of us involved were sort of like very hopeful that this would be this sort of Cinderella story where, like, oh, we're gonna, we're gonna open in LA and the critics are gonna love it, and some producer is gonna show up and 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 snatch us up and take us to Broadway. Um, and it didn't happen like that at all. Um, what happened was, uh, you know, there's a there's a local paper out there, the LA Times, Charles McNulty writes for the Times. Uh he re- he really didn't like the show at all. Um and he wrote a really bad review. And you know, there were a couple like at, at the time, the sort of like blog reviews were not as present as they are now. And, you know, so there was really like the LA Times, and there was a bunch of stuff that nobody read. Uh, And the LA Times hated it and all that stuff that nobody read uh, liked it. Um, And so what ended up happening was, you know, we had a six week run and every day it was, you know, a half to two thirds full. Um, And all of those people had an incredible day at the theater. Um, And and it was a, a, a really sort of difficult and valuable learning experience where I was doing this show that I loved this role that I loved, uh, you know, all this stuff was, and we knew it was good because every night people would, would lose their minds for this show. They'd leap to their feet for this, this like weird play about like boys in a garage band. Um, and you know, and, and it it was this sort of reminder that this this industry can be incredibly cruel um at moments. And you know, I sort of came back from that show and a, a little bit dejected and a little bit like, oh, I've I've spent the last couple of years of my life really thinking that this show was gonna take me to the next level um you know and it, and it did in certain ways internally and emotionally um and it really prepped me for what was coming next in my life but uh you know in that in that time between you know i came back in november of 2013 from doing the black suits and then in the summer of 2014 i started working on the hansen so it's like an eight-month stretch where i was uh like re- really bummed out um but i think i was primed in a, in a very good way to walk into the urban hansen process and and really sort of like, you know, bring my A game and 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 be grateful for what, what was happening there.
0: And so in addition to the black suits and to be more chill, have you had other ideas that you've sort of talked about with Joe Iconis or even sort of started to work on, but that never reached the level of?
1: Production. No, I'm. Uh, I, it's funny, you know. I, I talk about how much I love developing new work, and 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 uh, I really, really do. But I'm, I'm sort of like a really obedient actor. Uh, in a way, I'm sort of like I uh, am so taken with writers who are uh, prolific, who just like churn out ideas. And what I, my favorite kind of collaboration is to get just like thrown endless ideas from uh, from a writer and from a director uh, and sort of help them filter. Um, and, and so with Joe, it's not so much like, I I, I sort of uh, don't have the like ego to be like, you know what you should write. Um, and part of that is being his friend and knowing that like every day, some stranger is like, you know what you should write. And so I think that I'm personally like, write whatever you want, please let me come read it. Um, and I think that my, my favorite experience with Joe or any writer uh, is when they will, pour themselves onto a page, take a risk, wonder if it's good, hand it to me or someone like me, and I can surprise them with something in their text that they didn't even realize was there. Um, And I can sort of delight them with their own talent. That's my favorite kind of collaboration. And then, you know, the other half of that is like, sometimes I get handed that sort of thing and I do my level best with it. And we all sort of agree like, well, it's not that it's bad, but it's not working. And then, you know, it sort of exits the show. And I, I think that that kind of collaboration uh, that's, it's really fun for me. I really, really love it. And it really brings me a lot of joy. Um, I love doing it with many people. Um, I, Steven Levinson, who wrote Hansen, is one, uh, one of the most incredible book writers I've ever worked with in that regard. Um, so attuned to what is working with the actor that is on the stage and wanting it to be the sort of perfect collaboration between those two people. Um, and just like, it will endlessly, endlessly, endlessly try to sort of discover the right mix with all that.
0: And so when you started with Dear Evan Hansen in the summer of 2014, how different was that than the version
1: we would end up knowing and loving? Uh, <laughs> very different. Um, I think that, um, you know, the original sort of kernel of idea for Dear Evan Hansen was was based on an experience that bench passing had in high school, um, where wherein a, a member of his class uh, had died of a drug overdose over the summer. Um, and, He was reacting to the way that the student body uh, sort of collectively grieved for this young man uh, when, in fact, uh, many people did not know him. Uh, And so that was the sort of like kernel of idea for it all. And then as they started to work on it, they filtered that idea through social media and the way that we will like grieve for celebrities and the way that these stories can sort of take off online and they're. Like sort of true, but they're not really like true by the the normal definition of true. Um, and so the 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 first pass of the show, the first draft, um, had a much more sort of satirical tone. It was sort of making fun of how we all get wrapped up in all these things. Um, but I think what started to happen was uh, with the group of actors that they had in the room and with the score that Benjamin Justin had written. Uh, and and the way that Stephen Levinson in being a good writer was really humanizing all of these people, uh, it became harder and harder to poke fun at them. Uh, And and as time went on, the show became more interested in like what is grief and what is grieving and what needs to be true and what can occur with sort of false truths. And I, I think the show was really interested in saying like, how much healing can come from a bad act? I think that's the main question of the show. And I think what we see on stage is that almost all of the characters in the show uh end up better off because of this terrible thing that Evan has done. Uh and 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 I, I think the show is really fascinated by like what, what is the harm there and what does it mean and 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 how like what does truth mean and what does grief mean and how do they intersect and i i I think that uh that was the sort of biggest change was the way that it really embraced the healing that people feel uh you know when a celebrity dies and they they write a facebook post about it like we can sort of make fun of that you know be like you know you didn't know that celebrity but the parasocial relationship means something to the grieving person and so they, you know, Jeremy Hansen is like, what if you had a parasocial relationship with someone you knew, and grieved for them in that way? So that that was the big the big shift. Yeah.
0: And what was your collaboration like with Michael Greif, who was the director then?
1: Um, I love Michael Greif. Michael Greif is is perhaps the greatest director on this planet. Um, he uh, he has many many superpowers. Um, the the thing that I think he is uniquely skilled at that I think is, is hard to do as a director or as any creator of theaters, like when you are creating a piece, you have to get so into it. You have to fill in all the blanks in your mind. You have to create all the logic in your mind. You have to to really like construct bones for the show around just what is presented on the stage. Um, And Michael has the ability to sit in the audience and sort of erase all of that work from his mind while he sits and watches it. And he takes it in as an audience member experiencing the show for the first time. And he's uniquely attuned to like what is happening in the audience around him. And, and I think that it enables him to be a really efficient and effective storyteller. Um, the, the The way that he led that process of discovering the soul and humanity of this show, and then putting it on stage in a way that was effective and efficient and, and, and really like uh, worked for people. Because I think that nowadays you're like, oh, Jeremy Hansen's Hansen, it's a big hit, everybody mm-hmm. likes it. But I think when we started doing the show, it was not so obvious that this sort of very funny, but also very touching story about this boy who does this terrible thing after this young man dies. It's like we were sort of like, are people going to go for this? It's like, going to work. It's not like an obviously good idea for a musical on a paper. Um, and I think that uh, Michael, especially, was, was the one who knew which way to take it so that it did work and so that people did take the ride. Um, yeah, I like him so much. He's also a good friend.
0: And. What was it like just as an actor and as a person to be part of a phenomenon like that where everyone loves the show and there, it has so many
1: fans on social media and all that? Yeah, it's, um, it's it's humbling and it's strange. It's the kind of thing that you don't... Um, there are many talented, successful actors and theater makers in this world who have long, successful careers and never have the experience like we had on Dear Van Hansen. It's a very strange sort of black swan event. Um, And I think that it was, when things like that happen, it's a sort of unique combination of of the show itself and where the culture is when the show sort of hits its maximum prominence. So I think that like Dear Evan Hansen arriving on Broadway in the fall of 2016, uh, with sort of where American culture was and where cultural conversation was, Created a really specific moment for this show to sort of thrive and explode. Um, and I, I think that I, I think at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's really good. It's like a really well-written, well-made, well-produced show. Um, but there are lots of those out there that don't hit in the way that Jarren Hansen did. And I think it's sort of, um, I personally don't have such an ego as to say that like, well, the reason *Dear Evan Hansen* is what it is is because it's that much better than other shows that you know. Um, and I and I, I I don't think it's that, but I think wow. that there is a sort of zeitgeist, there is a sort of spirit. Um, and and what was sort of strange was, uh, you know, we opened *Dear Evan Hansen* on Broadway in the winter of 2016, uh, and so 2017, the first sort of six months of that year leading up to the Tonys, was the big. Sort of time when it all blew up. That's when the album came out, and that's when I went from having you know four thousand Twitter followers to having sixty thousand Twitter followers and things like that. You know that all happened in like a six month span, and at the same time, that was happening with two other shows. That was happening with Heather's, and that was happening with Be More Chill. Um, and and it was really fascinating to watch. The sort of uh, way that tastes are made and 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 influence sort of organically passes back and forth on the internet because a lot a lot of Jeremy Hansen's success was within traditional theater success. It's like a, a nice review in the New York Times, a bunch of Tony nominations, like you know very traditional ways to succeed and 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 become spectacular but it also uh infiltrated all of these uh these uh non-traditional uh venues which is the social media um and all that stuff so it was interesting to see the non-traditional path happen for a few shows at once while our show was also on the very traditional path um to being a hit uh and i think that it 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 really made me aware of how the shows that i know about from, say 20 years ago came to me through a very specific filter of like did the new york times critic like it did it do well at the box office that season did it win tony awards like these were very the shows that i know about from the 70s and 80s and 90s usually had those things happen to them and it always makes me wonder about like what are the other shows out there that i don't know about that i probably would love if those people had decided they liked it yeah
0: and so as an actor yourself, how do you sort of balance the having so many followers on social media from Dear Evan Hansen and from Be More Chill with with just like going about life and all that? And... Um,
1: I mean, I'm, I'm lucky in, in so far that I'm not like, uh, I'm not like famous, famous, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not like, I can, I can walk out my door and, <laughs> and I can walk down the street. I'm not, I'm not like Beyonce, uh, you know, but uh, uh, it is, uh, it's, it's interesting. In social media, I, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm 33 years old. Um, And I view personally, like everything that is on social media is a performance. Um, I think that individuals posting about their sandwiches at at lunch is is performance and the stuff that I put out on my Twitter and Instagram is also performance. Um, and, and I think that, uh, you know, I'm, 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 I'm a pretty private person. Um, you know, I, uh, folks who've met me at the stage door know that I'm I'm sort of like, I don't know, I think sometimes I come off as rude and I don't mean to, but I just sort of like am I get really overwhelmed by uh, you know, and it's especially especially like stage doors being inside of those barricades oh, yeah. uh, sort of makes makes my heart race and, and gives me anxiety and and I I don't uh I don't like that experience. I'm grateful for the people who are there I'm grateful for their support. I'm grateful that they're, you know, that that, that they, that they want to see us. Um, but it definitely is like this specific environment is like, not for me. Um, and so I, I sort of use, I use social media as a way of sort of performing in that sphere. Uh, without uh, putting myself in bodily, physical harm, um, you know, because most people are very nice, you know, there's a lot of nice people out there and I have no, like, I have nothing but gratitude, um, you know, for their support. But at the same time, it's like sometimes the ways that it is shown makes me go like, <sighs>
0: And so Dear Evan Hansen and Be More Chill are probably shows that will go on to be done a lot in colleges and high schools and all that, and what sort of advice would you give, having been part of the original
1: cast to people who are trying to do them? Um, I, I, I would, I would say, please, please, please seek the humanity in these characters. Um, Try to make them as dimensional and complicated as you possibly can, because I think both of these shows um succeed and are so beloved because they paint complicated pictures of lots of different human beings um and i think that dear evan hansen is a a character study in in grief and in sorrow and in truth um and what is true i think that be more chill is a celebration of all types of diversity i think it is a celebration of of different personalities and different interests and body types and races and cultures and genders and neurodivergent folks. And I think that it's like the show is so, uh, it, 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 it's Be More Chill is not ever telling anyone like, I know it's sad now, but don't worry, like it's going to get fixed later. Be More Chill says like, no, this is it. And it's time to celebrate what this is. Um, And I think that the finale of the show, especially I think voices in my head is the ultimate sort of like everyone in the company shares their strange eccentric truth with one another, while our protagonist acknowledges that like well, this is my lot in life. Um, And, and I'm going to choose to celebrate it and choose to meet it with joy and choose to love myself. Um, even even on the hard days. Um, and I think that uh, all of that is, is only made possible when none of the characters on stage are an archetype or a stereotype or a caricature or a device. They have to be real complicated people.
0: And how was the idea for Be More Chill first sort of presented to you and, and all that?
1: Um, it was, uh, Be More Chill came to me, uh, I, uh, so I, I've known Joe a long time. Uh, Joe was doing a reading of his new show from this book that he had adapted. Uh It was at his agent's office and it was for uh, the artistic director of a theater, of two river theater uh, who had commissioned the show. So he was writing it with Joe Trace and he called me, he was like, Hey, we're going to do this like uh like next Thursday. Can you come by? Like just read the script. You know, I'm going to sing all the songs on the piano. Uh, and at that reading, I actually read, uh, I read the role of Michael. Um, and we were on the street after the show, and, and we were just, uh, it, you know, it was the first time we'd heard Michael in the bathroom, uh, and we were like, Joe, that song, that song is incredible. Um, and, and, you know, we knew it then, um, and it was wonderful to, I mean, it was so, it felt so validating to me as someone who's been a, a fan of Joe Iconis since 2007, uh, to see so many people around the world react to his songwriting, and the way that I react to his songwriting made me feel like, Oh good, I'm not like dumb or wrong. Like this is, he really is that good.
0: What was the sort of evolution process like for that show with changes and all that over the readings and
1: off-broadway and all that? Um, I think that uh the biggest changes that they made from the you know, the New Jersey production, the off-broadway production, the Broadway production was all about uh fleshing out the emotional lives of our characters, making sure that. Uh, we had enough moments to check in with Jeremy, our protagonist, and learn what he's thinking about and learn why he's doing what he's doing. And and uh, you know that's one of the things that Dervin Hansen does really well, is all of the song moments and all the conversations with Connors, uh, that's when you learn why Evan is doing what he's doing. And so I think that not, not like nobody was talking about Dervin Hansen in the room, but I was sort of reflecting on that at the time. It was like, oh yeah, it's good that the audience be given opportunities to meet our protagonist who is doing dumb things and learn why he's doing these dumb things. Um, and uh, and then I think also it was about fleshing out the other characters on stage and making sure that, you know, Christine and Jake and Michael and, and Mr. Here and, and Jenna and, and Brooke and, and Chloe all get to uh, like we get to know them and we get to learn that like, oh, I think I the ideal experience of be more chill is like near the end. You're sort of saying like, oh, I, I know that like Chloe's having her own Be More Chill musical, like, somewhere <laughs> off in another lifetime, and, you know, I think that the goal of that show that we spent a lot of time on leading leading up to Bromley is, is identifying how all these characters were dealing with similar struggles.
0: So, when you were playing that character of Jeremy, how much did you sort of take that from your own life, and what sort of process did you do to get inside that character's head, and
1: um you know, I'm, I'm very lucky to say that uh, my experience in high school was not like Jeremy's experience in high school. I, I had friends, I was loved, I felt uh, supported. um but I, I think that the feelings that Jeremy experiences are um, everybody has those feelings at one time or another, you know, often or rarely. Um, and so he, uh, I think that his um, his whole sort of deal for me was I, I wanted to create someone who, it was very important to me that we see him try. I was like, there's a lot of text uh in, in the score and on the page where Jeremy sort of complains about how nobody likes him and how he's so uncool and nobody understands him. And I was, I, I said to Stephen Brackett, our director, and and, and to Joe, the Joes, Joe Trace, and Joe Thomas, I was like, it's so important to me, and I, I want you to, you know, help me with this, that the audience see Jeremy attempt to be a part of these social circles and be rejected. Because I think if he doesn't, we don't see him try and try and try again, then he's just like kind of a whiner. Um, And and so I think what I I did was I sort of did my best to, as we went along, really internalize the way that the other characters on on stage were treating me. Um, And then I, I think ultimately the Jeremy that I came to was Jeremy believing all the things that people say to him. In the first, you know, half hour of the show Um, and then, you know, and then we did some physical stuff, you know, some posture stuff and some, you know, the hair styling stuff to sort of indicate that he's like, he doesn't take care of himself and all the, all the, all these things. Um, But uh, yeah, that was, that was my process was very, uh, I let the other actors on stage who are all like excellent and smart individuals uh, tell me who he is and sort of let him believe it.
0: So, Be More Chill and Dear Evan Hansen, of course, as we discussed before, were musicals that had a lot of following on social media and all that, but uh, Dear Evan Hansen was sort of able to run for a lot longer on Broadway. And do you think that was another example of this sort of time thing or what do
1: you think that was? Um, you know, I think the, uh, I think the, the tricky thing about uh, that whole process uh, was and you know I was talking before about how uh, there there are plenty of good musicals, but maybe they didn't get nice New York Times reviews or Tony nominations or, or sell a lot of tickets. Um, I think that uh, Be More Chill was was uh, a, a moment where certain sort of gates were closed to us, and you know especially by way of like I said like reviews. I mean uh, the New York, the New York Times was not kind. Um, and then I I had this experience very often after the show where I would meet someone. Uh, you know, normally there was a younger person, a person in their teens or 20s. They were accompanied by an adult who I perceived to be in their 40s, 50s, 60s. Um, and the adult would say to me, oh, you know, I I really didn't think I was going to like this. I didn't think it was for me, but I had a great time. And I would sort of ask them as politely as I could, like, why didn't you think this was for you? Um, and, and a lot of times they would say like, oh, well, I, I read in the Times that it was for kids. And I was sort of like, well, we don't think it's for kids, and you know, tell your friends. Um, and I think that you know it was it was it was really interesting. Uh, you know, and then and then the, the the Tony nominations came around and and it sort of felt, uh, you know, kind of cruel the ways in which the show was not acknowledged. And it sort of felt like a, a small group of people at a few moments had really sort of uh, acted to uh, sort of counter, the love of a very large group of people. You know, we had like hundreds of thousands of fans online whose support uh, you know, made this show happen and they showed up at the theater. I mean, every night they were screaming, it was like a rock concert. Um, and you know, it but unfortunately we weren't able to get over these sort of uh gates that were that were set up for us. Um, and so I think that's what ultimately led to, I mean, you know, the show closed because it didn't I, probably shows closed because they don't sell enough tickets. That's the like beginning, middle, and end of it. And at the end of the day, like we were Discounting too many tickets to remain open financially, and I think a lot of that had to do with, uh, you know, the, the sort of uh, headwinds that came at us from within the industry. Oh
0: yeah. And then the very last question I'd love to ask is, what kind of sort of theater, what kind of role would you like to do next? Would
1: it be- um, I, I want I want someone to uh, to let me play a young dad. I'm like, uh, you know, I, I know that I've played a lot of teenagers, but I, I'm I'm 33 years old. Um, and I would love to play like a guy who's got a baby and doesn't know what to do. I think that would be a lot of fun. It could be a, a musical, a play, a TV show, a movie. Uh I just think that uh I think uh I think parenting is a is a is sort of portrayed really specifically uh in media as like parents are always like either they're like bad dads or they're like Single moms trying really hard. And I think it would it, be really fun uh, to explore like sort of like messy, goofy uh, experiences that parents have. I, I have four nieces and I watch their parents uh, raise them, and they're hilarious. It's very funny um, all the time. And I think that those sorts of stories are very common. And so people think they're not interesting. Um, but I think that, like, I, yeah, I want somebody, somebody let me play a, a funny young dad. That's my goal.
0: Well, thank you so much for doing this. It's been a pleasure.
1: Thank you, Charles. Thank you for having me. It's been an absolute delight.
2: Listeners, thank you for tuning in. And remember to come back next time when I'm joined by veteran performer David Jackson. David Jackson is about to lead an evening at 54 Below on August 23rd at 7pm, celebrating his extraordinary career, which has included Broadway appearances in Yubi, La Cage aux Faux, My One and Only, Grand Hotel, and Tommy Tune Tonight, and he will discuss all of those experiences and more next week. You won't want to miss the episode. Thanks again for
0: tuning in.